This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome into this week's edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Schusterman, alongside... MLB Pipeline's Jim Callis. Jim, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I am quite well. We have plenty to get to today on the podcast. Of course, the draft is now under two months away. We're going to be doing a lot of draft chat on this show. We're also going to be looking at some exciting uh, hot starts for some top prospects. And But the first thing, the first thing we're going to start with, we're going straight to the major leagues, past the minor league prospects, past the amateur prospects to some rookies who have been off to some amazing starts, Peter Alonzo and Fernando Tatis Jr. Sorry, Pete Alonzo. Oh, forgive me. I hope that's I hope right. Alonzo Come on, hear me. Oh God, I don't want to. I don't want to make him angry. Um, these were two guys who I think, if you talk to anyone in spring training, you said these two guys could be the frontrunners for National League Rookie of the Year. However, we didn't know necessarily when they would be in the big leagues. Lucky for us, they were both on the opening day rosters, and they are both off to fantastic starts. So Jim, I know you've been, you know, knee deep in draft coverage, um, but from from what you've seen from them so far at the big league level, are you surprised that they've both been getting off to hot starts? Both of them have OPSs over 900, both playing for, for winning teams right now. Uh, have you been impressed with them so far? Yeah, I have. I mean, and don't sleep on Victor Robles. I think he'll be in that discussion too. And he, he's off to a good start. But you know, it's, it's funny because I feel like we were in the minority a little bit. You have an Alonzo ahead of Jimenez on our on our Mets list, and you know, and I even heard from some scouts. Oh, you know, Alonzo. I'm not sure that swing's going to necessarily play. You know, he's going to strike out a lot, and he's not a good defender. Well, I mean, he's one of the best power hitters in the minor leagues, like last season, and and he hits home runs everywhere he goes, and he hits, you know, home runs off 104 mile an hour fastballs in the Fall Stars game, and he hit that crazy home run at the Futures game that basically went straight up the air and carried mm-hmm. what, like 400 feet. Um, it looked like a 400 foot pop-up. Um, so like, I mean, his power is legit. And, and you know what actually makes me glad about both those guys was you have two teams that didn't have good years last year, you know, but are, are hoping, you know, could, I mean, people may not take them seriously as contenders yet, although the, the teams are playing well, but you know, they were, they were definitely teams that had designs on being better. They, they, they planned on being significantly better than they were last year. And these teams, unlike a lot of other teams, could have said, oh, you know, Alonzo's defense needs work, or, oh, you know, Tatis hasn't played in AAA. They need some time in the minors. And both teams didn't mess around. You know, the Mets clearly realized Alonzo's our best first baseman. The Potters realized Tatis is our best shortstop. And they played the guy. You know, the Potters did the same thing with Chris Paddock, too. Very easy to put Chris Paddock in the minor leagues. He, you know, came back from Tommy John. Hasn't pitched a lot of innings. I don't think Paddock had pitched in AAA last year either. And they're reaping the rewards. So I, I just think it's a great 
it, it, you know, as bad a look as it is when these teams make up reasons to keep guys down or, hey, Lua Jimenez, you need some time at Charlotte. Well, wait a minute, you sign a long-term contract? Yeah. You're ready. Like, that stuff's horrible. And, like, I understand why they do it, and I would probably do the same thing if I were a team because it makes sense. You know, Chris Bryant, you led, you, you tore up AAA. You led the minors. You, you led to everybody in spring training with 10 home runs. But you're not ready. We need to take a look at oh. Mike Old. And then Michael gets hurt and can't play. Yeah, Chris, you still need some time in the minors. Anyway, that's a bad look. And so I, I love the fact that the Mets and Padres didn't play games with two extremely talented players, and they're reaping the benefits. Because, uh, no, I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, both – I mean, Tatis has got five home runs. I mean, are, are they both striking out a little bit much? Sure. but Yeah, they're, they're both they're both at a, the 30% strikeout yeah. rate. But, again, not not surprising. They're, but they're when they're hitting the ball, they're hitting it Yeah, and, and Alonzo's drawn a healthy amount of walks, and he's going to strike out. I mean, and Tatis is 20, so he's going to strike out a little bit until he adjusts. But, like, both these guys are are very talented players, and, and like, they're not doing anything – that I mean, is it surprising they're off to a good start from day one? Maybe. Are they doing anything? Are we seeing them do anything that surprises us? No, because I mean they're doing what they did in the minors, um, and I'm, right. I'm happy for them, and I'm happy for the Mets and Padres that they're reaping the benefits. Yeah, no, I definitely agree, and I know it's it, it, this doesn't necessarily matter if they're both good for these teams and they're both good. That's great. Uh, and Chris Paddock could be in this discussion, as you mentioned, Victor Robles, maybe. It's still early, but with all the context, with their skill sets, what they're going to be offering these teams, where these teams are going to be in the postseason race, if you had to pick today who is going to win the National League Rookie of the Year, who would you say? Well, I'll even, uh, are we picking who will deserve or mm. who will actually well, win? Because I guess the way I was, I'll put it, which yeah. will tell you why I asked that, I would say Alonzo would be the favorite because I could see Pete Alonzo hitting. I guess he's on a 60 home run pace. I'll take the under on 60, but like if Pete Alonzo hit like 30, 35 home runs, you know, and he's going to have a bunch of RBI. Like Mm -hmm. I think he's going to win the award, but I think Tatis is a more well-rounded player where I don't, I think Alonzo will out Homer Tatis, but Tatis, I would say might have a little bit higher, you know, batting average and on base percentage and obviously it provides a lot more defensive value. So I think Alonzo might have the sexy numbers that will catch the eye of the voters and Tatis might have the higher war, if that makes sense. And yeah, I think Victor no. Robles will be right there too. I mean, I can see Victor Robles, you know, who's showing more power than he kind of had on space. I mean, Victor Robles might hit 15 to 20 homers and steal 30 bases and, and, you know, hit 280 too. So I, I, you know, and play good center field. So I think he's going to be in the mix too. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I'm, I'm curious uh, how, you know, their team standings kind of end up because the the, the Padres off to a great start, you know, the Mets are playing in what's probably the most competitive division right now. Um, I could see like if the Padres make the postseason and the numbers are close, then maybe Tatis gets it. I know that's not really fair. Maybe that's not how it should be judged. No, I, think, I, I actually think the same thing. It's not quite like MVP, right. but I do think that narrative, if like, oh, mm-hmm. the Padres got better quicker than we thought, and right. Fernando Tatis helped drive the train. You know, and similarly, you know, hey, if the Mets make the playoffs and, and Pete Alonso is leading the team in homers and RBIs, mm-hmm. Then that might give him the push over over Tatis. So there, there, there's a lot of fat. I mean, Victor. Again, I will not allow you to sleep on Victor. No, Robles, I, I forgive me. If the forgive Nationals, hey, no, I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah. But like, you know, the Nationals underachieved last year. If the Nationals win the division, and Victor Robles plays a big part in that, then that helps his narrative too. So it, yeah. it'll be interesting. It's you know, we we've talked about this earlier in the spring. 
it's, it's an unusual year. If you look at the top of the top 100 prospects list, like 10 of our 12 guys, you know, counting Lizardo, who's hurt right now, he's just Lizardo. The A's are pretty much in the big leagues or on the verge of being big league ready right now. Like, so we're going to see a lot of these guys in the big leagues this year. Yeah, no, I know. And, and, and lucky us. And, and I gotta be honest, I didn't even realize how good of a start Robles had gotten off to. I'm a big Robles guy, but, but he's also uh, a rocking a 962 OPS so far uh, in the big leagues with the nationals and he's only 21. Um, so, so it's good to see him getting, getting a chance there and, and Paddock too. I mean, that's, that's going to be harder uh, for him. Obviously rookie pitchers, it's hard to, to compile enough stats there. Uh, not not as flashy necessarily, but he's been been excellent for the Padres so far. All right, enough Major League Baseball chat. We got to get to the the fun stuff, the real the real nitty gritty. It's time to talk draft. Uh, I know you've been making calls all day, all week, all month, and every wake minute is all about the draft for you right now, Jim. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I'd say like. 99% of my work time feels like it's spent on the draft, which feels like it's about 90% of uh, my lifetime. Right? That's probably exaggeration because <laughs> I am I have I have family duties I have to take care of. But yeah, no, it's it's pretty much, you know, all draft all the time, which is which is fun. Yeah. It's fun kind of gathering information and finding out about guys and, and, and that type of stuff. And I know that, that you guys, you know, you split up uh, different regions, you and Jonathan, uh, to, to, to make sure you're, you're, having a fairly even split as to the number of baseball players you're having to check in on and, and find out about. But there are a few guys uh, that I did want to ask you about uh, uh, that, that I believe are in your regions, or at least that you've, you've been keeping your eye on. And uh, I wanted to, to start with, with, with a high school guy uh, who I, I believe we talked a little bit uh, last week after, after we recorded. Uh, and, I, and I wanted to get your take on, on Brett Beatty, uh, third baseman, high school, high school third baseman in Texas. Now he, you could argue he is one of the best, um, you know, pure bats in the class. Uh, but some people might point out that, oh, Brett Beatty, well, he's he's a 19-year-old high schooler, and, and sometimes that's harder to judge the competition. So I wanted to get your take on the, the, you know, the concept of being a little bit worried about drafting a 19-year-old high schooler versus a young high schooler and how age impacts uh, teams when they're picking uh, at the top of the draft. And Jordan asked this question because after we finished the podcast last week, we discussed this and he just brought up, not that he was advocating the 19 year old, <laughs> but brought up the 19 year old yes. angle and I reacted yes. violently. So we knew it was going to be podcast fodder this week. You know, it's interesting because I, I, before I'm in the midst of, of putting together my half of the country in order for our top 100, which will be out late next week. And I, I'm doing it alphabetically by states. So I haven't gotten to Texas, and I don't know exactly where Brett Beatty is going to fall or fall in the top 100. But, you know, it, it's interesting because I think the best pure high school hitter in this draft, people would probably give that nod to Riley Green from Florida. And I think the best raw power in the draft on the high school side, people will give to Reese Hines, um, who's playing at IMG Academy uh, in Florida. Those would be the, the two guys. But if you kind of look at it from such a Brett Beatty, is a really good pure hitter. And I think he's got more raw power than Riley Green. And I think he's got a lot of raw power. And while he's not quite up there with Reese Hines, I think he's a much more advanced hitter than Reese Hines. So you could, if you wanted to make the argument, and I haven't sorted this out to tell you exactly if I would make the argument 100% yet, Brett Beatty might be the best all-around high school hitter in this draft. Yes. He might be. He might be your your Andrew Vaughn, say, of the high school crowd this year so that's a pretty good player um, but as you alluded to 
He's not only 19, he's got a November birthday. So on draft day, he will be almost 19 years and seven months old. And there's a thought with a lot of teams that age matters a lot in the draft and you don't want a 19-year-old high school guy, like almost to an extreme in some cases with some teams that take it you know, to an extreme. And, and my personal philosophy is if I had two guys who were the same, yes, I'd rather have an 18-year-old than a 19-year-old or a 17-year-old than a 19-year-old if you're looking prospects, but the best to me, the best high school player in this draft this year is Bobby Witt, another Texas high school kid who's a potential five tool shortstop who, if he reaches his ceiling, it could be five plus tools across the board. Well, Bobby Witt's going to turn 19 right after the draft. So are you, are, are people going to walk away from Bobby Witt? I, I just think that gets so overblown. And yes, you know, if Brett Beatty goes to, you know, I think he's a, a Texas recruit. If he goes to Texas and he tears it up like he could, two years from now, people will be like, oh, 21-year-old sophomore, let me have it. You know, Andrew Benatendi was a 21-year-old sophomore, and I bet there's a lot of teams that would like to go back in time to high school. And people knew who he was because he was a pretty good hitter and athlete. He wasn't a first-round pick. But, like, people would like to have Andrew Benatendi at 19. I just – you know, I, you know, you heard this diatribe last week. I'm boiling it down, and I'm less emotional than when I was just like, ah, oh, I get, I get tired of hearing that. But right. yeah, you factored in. But like, there aren't, there isn't a 17 or 18 year old version of Brett Beatty's bat in this year's draft on the high school side. So I'll take Brett Beatty over over younger guys because I like the bat. Like to me, I, I we haven't lined him up. But like I think he he fits somewhere in the middle of the first round somewhere because I think the bats that good I don't know if he'll go quite that high because of the age you know there's some questions can he play third um, you know he's I think he's you know he, he's probably a 30 runner if it makes sense he's a better athlete than a 30 run time would indicate um, and he works hard so he might have a chance to play third I mean that's up in the air and I think I think that'll hurt him a little bit in the draft too but I I just think the age stuff while it's a factor gets overblown. And, and I think one of the reasons it gets overblown is that when you do draft studies, to me, if I were set up a draft study, I would maybe, I, you know, if you're trying to boil down a player's value out of the draft, you know, war is a quick and dirty number. So yeah, I would probably use war, but instead of just looking at total war for players, I would kind of sort them into levels by war. So, you know, if you're whatever demographic you're studying, X percent become a superstar, and X percent become a good big leaguer, and X percent become an average big leaguer. Because here's the problem. When you just look at war, the, the net return on any draft pick is low, just because most draft picks don't make it or don't hit. And if you look at a typical draft, in a typical draft, there's like maybe six or eight you know, star type players in a draft. And then maybe there's a couple dozen guys who are solid regulars or solid guys in rotation or the back of a bullpen for a while. And you'll have guys who have careers that are inconsistent. They might have a career year, but they're, they're fringy players, a couple coffee guys, a typical draft. You're lucky if there's 30 good players. Like I think I was telling you, Jordan, like every year I do MLB has me do a, Hey, draft dude, redo the draft from 10 years ago. Last right. year, and I'm not picking on this guy because he's had a nice career. Stephen Vogt made my first round, I guess, from 2008 it was. Like, which is shot. Nobody, if you told him, hey, Stephen Vogt, he should have been a first-round pick, he'd be like, yeah. what are you talking about? But if you look at the way the careers have played out, he would. So anyway, where I'm winding up to with this is Mike Trout breaks draft studies if you just go by total war. Because I think Mike Trout has, I think, close to 70 war. It's like insane. He's you know, it's insane. It's more war than anybody his age has ever had. Yeah. So if you do a draft study, and Mike Trout was 17 when he got drafted, if you do a draft study, and Mike Trout, I mean, the average war for like the 25th pick in the draft where Mike Trout mm-hmm. went, is probably like around one or two war. 
Like, you know, the, the, the percentage of guys in that slot who get pen war is probably pretty low. Mike Trout is essentially the equivalent of like 12 good, like 12 really good draft picks all in one. And so like the comment I made, you are joking is like, he's going to skew your age studies. If you do a study, you, know, you can't do the last couple drafts because right. guys haven't had a chance to, to show what they are yet. But let's say you look at the last 10 drafts for which we have a reasonable amount of data on on what, uh, you know, how good guys are going to be. It's going to tell you, you got to draft New Jersey high school outfielders because that's by far the best demographic. But then if you'd done that study a couple years before my trout and you're like, oh, let's look at New Jersey high school hitters. And the name who would have jumped off the top would have been like Billy Roll. I guess Jack Cust would have been in there. It wouldn't have looked really good because Billy Roll was, I think, yeah. the ninth overall yeah. pick in the draft and never made it to the big leagues. So it would have been like, oh, red flag, can't draft New Jersey high school hitters. They're overblown. Like they're just not very good. And yeah, it's, so it's like, you got to be careful what you're looking at in, in these studies. And yes, this long-winded answer, although much, much, much less emotional and long-winded than when we talked about it off, off, off the air last week. I just, I don't think you can, you, there are going to be teams that just say, ah, Brett Beatty, I can't touch him. He's 19 and a half. I, I or I'm going to kill him. Uh, to me, Brett Beatty's first round pick. That bat's just too good. Like, and yeah, I mean, would it, you know, in a perfect world, would you wish he was, you know, 18? Sure. But like, the bat's the bat. And if this guy goes to Texas, I think this guy, he won't because he'll get drafted on it. But if he went to Texas, I, Jordan, I think he'd be, we'd be talking about him probably the best college bat in the 2021 draft. And people be, nobody would say, oh, 21 year old sophomore, that's old. They'd be like, I, I want this bat. Yeah. Well, and the Ben and Tenney thing is also interesting because he, he wasn't that good as a freshman, if I recall, right? I mean, he he was, he was hurt. hurt. He was he, he was hurt. Yeah, yeah, and then and then he didn't play over the right. summer. Was it hamstring injuries? Yeah. Maybe hamstring and or oblique. Then, and he spent the summer getting stronger mm-hmm. and kind of guarding against that, and then he right. just and went then, off. Like he showed up as a sophomore, and it was like, oh, he's draft eligible. Oh my goodness, he's he's incredible. Yeah. So so that's true. And right, I imagine I. Beatty's stock is now plenty high enough that it looks like he'll probably be a high enough pick that he doesn't make it to Texas. But, uh, but yeah, it is interesting. Do you think, I mean, middle of the first round, we've talked a lot over the last few episodes that he's, you know, the the hitters are so far ahead of the pitchers, uh, but he'd still have to jump a lot of these college guys. Uh, Could you see him being the third high schooler taken after uh, green and, and, or I guess, well, with the shortstops with, with Abrams and and it's going to be kind of hard to, to pass him, but. Yeah, I mean, Witt and Abrams are going to go probably yeah. the first two. Um, Corbin Carroll's going to go pretty good. Um, Riley Green's going to go pretty good. You think you know, could, be, the, the, could be the fifth? Could be the fifth high schooler taken? Or he could. I mean, I haven't sorted them out, right. but like the, you know, the football guys, Elian Hampton. I you know, I, I don't think would go ahead of him now. Sure. Um, you know, I I think he goes again ahead of Reese Hines. I, I just think you have more certainty on the bat. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I think so. I mean, you know, like I said, I mean, besides the age, you know, there are going to be people who, who grade him, you know, without looking at the age and say, look, this guy's, you know, definitely going to be a first baseman. And that's going to be a little tougher. I, I'd i say if I had to guess where I think, like, and I haven't, and this is just on talent. We haven't even tried to project right. out mocks yet. I think he goes, I'd say probably Nah, I'd say back half of the first round is where I think he goes. Where he'll rank in our top 100, like yeah. 15 to 20, maybe somewhere in there. I, I just really like the bat. And then, you know, like if I make a mistake, I mean, look, I take pride. I want to get the guys in the exact perfect Except order, which I know year. is impossible. But like, 
if I'm wrong on a guy, I'm not spending three and a half million dollars and then having the, the scouting director and the GM and the right, owner right. like, or like, what'd you just do? So it's like, it's a little easier for me to just pound yeah. the table and go with the gut feel guy. Like my gut tells me Brett Beatty's bat is really, really good. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, he has the word bat in his name. What more do you need? Yeah, you can't spell Beatty without <laughs> bat. spell Beatty so. without bat. All right, enough. 19-year-old high schooler. Let's talk about some college guys. Alec Manoa, uh, right-handed pitcher, West Virginia, with probably the pitching performance of the season this past weekend, a complete game shutout over Texas Tech with 15 strikeouts and no walks. Uh, Manoa is an an interesting guy, one of the larger pitchers you're going to find in this draft, uh, listed at 6'6", over 250 pounds. Um, But in, in in a year where college pitching is kind of a mess, he's really starting to separate himself do you think he he could have a case for being the first pitcher taken? Yeah, I, I think he does. I, in fact, you know, the high school the, the three best high school pitchers right now are, are probably you know Matthew Allen and Brendan Malone, who's really good at the NHSI, and Daniel Espino. But you know, teams always kind of push high school right-handers down the board a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the top two pitchers who would be taken. I think if the draft were today. I would expect that Nick Lodolo and Alec Manoa would be the top two pitchers taken. So good year for the Big 12. Um, And I guess there's a chance. I haven't looked at the schedule. They probably will match up at some point. Yeah. Like I would think. I'm I'm not sure. That would be pretty interesting. I I don't know. Like I I don't know the intricacies of the Big 12 schedule. And if you play everybody every year, but like uh, uh, that, that would be pretty interesting. But yeah, you know, and Manoa, I think he's like, I think he's like 270. I think you were, you, you said over 250. I, I think yeah. his listed weight might be 270, but yeah, I mean, Lodolo, I mean, it's a more, you know, athletic looking frame, um, obviously, but you know, Manoa, it's not like it prevents Manoa from throwing strikes. Uh, you know, I, I think Lodolo, you know, it'll be, it'll, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, you know, if Manoa pitches like he did against Texas Tech, yeah. Then you know if he if he continues to pitch like that the rest of the season, then he's going to move past Lodolo. He's got bigger stuff. You know, Lodolo's left-handed. Um, you know, their secondary pitches are probably you know depending on when you see him, you can make a case for one guy over the other. Um, you know, it, it's you know there could be some teams who maybe you know again Manoa right. throws strikes. It's not like a a sloppy frame by any means, but I think Lodolo is more athletic and has a better delivery. So if you were putting percentages on the, on, you know, guy remaining a starter and it's easy to say, Oh, everybody's heading to the bullpen. You know, Lodolo, you, you give a better chance to, to be a starter. Uh, Manoa, you know, I, I think definitely had, you know, you, you're still giving him a good chance to start. Um, and, and it's better pure stuff, but I, I think those are your top two pitchers, you know, right now. Well, I have, I have good news for you, Jim. Uh, May 3rd, Friday, May 3rd in Morgantown, the, uh, the Mountaineers will be hosting TCU in what could be a matchup between the two top college pitchers taken, assuming they're both starting on Friday. I can't imagine why they wouldn't be uh, at this point. So that, that could be the matchup. If you want to, if you want to see some scouting directors and maybe some GMs, I would imagine that that game against TCU will be, uh, will be very scouting heavy. And it's only I'm looking here. If I if I take if I if I'm willing to pay tolls, it's only 
550 miles from uh, Winneka, Illinois to Morgantown. Although I'll, I'll race you from New York. It's probably about the midway point, honestly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, well, the nice thing is you're going to catch both those guys in the big 12 tournament too. So you That's don't, uh, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to be there, but yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily think we're going to see a pitcher in the top five picks. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, we said last week, you could probably argue top 10 if you wanted right. to be extreme about it. But, like, I, I think both those guys are going somewhere in the upper half of the first round. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, it is interesting. Of course, over the last few years, we've had a lot of high-profile SEC pitching matchups. But now the Big 12, known for its offense, usually has got probably the premier pitching matchup of the season. May 3rd, Friday in Morgantown. We will see all of you guys there. All right, another guy that I wanted to ask. Why don't we podcast from there that week? We'll podcast live live. Friday Friday leading into the game. There we go. We should tailgate it. That's the tailgate pipeline pod. That would be awesome. I know they have a good time in Morgantown. Uh, Another pitcher I want to ask about who is in the SEC, Mr. Isaiah Campbell, who last year – uh, for Arkansas, started the national championship game, had a great season for the Razorbacks, but uh, a lot of health troubles uh, and and just just teams not not so. He was draft eligible last year, I believe, as a sophomore, or was it as a junior? He was because yeah. he, he was he was a redshirt, redshirt sophomore. Sure. He, I don't think he had surgery, but I believe he missed all of mm-hmm. 2017 with an elbow right. injury. And in fact, he was he was on the MLB pipeline top 200 a year ago. And I'm not going to claim I'm, I pulled this up off the top of my head because I'm looking at it right now. But he, he was number 109 on the MLB type mm-hmm. pipeline, top 200 as a and redshirt. He was, sign. I believe, one of the highest guys not to sign who was not like committed. At least maybe the highest college guy who uh, did not get signed, or maybe him and well, he well, you mean in terms of ranking? In terms of ranking, um, yeah, him and Noah Song maybe at <laughs> uh, Navy. Yeah, that, that's probably. That's got to be correct because I don't. Well, no, no, you know what? <laughs> it's not because if we count JUCO guys, okay. Brandon Williamson, sure, sure. who I fell in love with at uh, North Iowa Area Community College, it was number ninety on our list, and he wound up going to TCU. But if you went straight four year, well, <laughs> it's funny because the guy right next to Brandon Williamson, Zach Hess, was number ninety one. Oh, so he was okay. one, one of the highest. Yep, one of the highest guys on the list. Um, was Isaiah Campbell. But, but let's let's talk about Campbell because now yes. back to Arkansas as a redshirt junior, he has been uh, truly one of the best best pitchers in the country uh, thus far. Um, he's He's been excellent. He's been excellent for them. Obviously, Arkansas is very good. Uh, would you say that he, you know, you said 109 uh, last year on the top 200. Would you say he's comfortably raised his, his draft stock again or will the uh, maybe injury concerns uh, still keep him uh, out of the first round? Yeah, he will. Um, you know, and the injury he had, he had bone spurs in his elbow. He had removed in 2017, so he just pitched, I think, one game that year. He, he has pitched better. I mean, you, even last year, you know, when you saw him on, on the, when he was healthy and consistent with his delivery, he was 91, 95 up to 98, and he'd flash a pretty good curveball and slider. Um, you know, this year he's been healthier. He's been healthy throughout the year. He hasn't missed a start, and he's been more consistent with his secondary pitches. So I think he he has moved up. You know, I I think if you see him at his very best, you can see first round stuff. I think he's probably more of a second rounder. You know, he doesn't have a track record of staying healthy. You know, for lengthy periods of time, back to back years, or of consistency. So I think that works against him a little bit. You know, he's thrown a lot more strikes this year. Um, 
Yeah, he, I was looking here at my notes. He, he did have more elbow inflammation last year, and he didn't always maintain his stuff in the later innings mm-hmm. as well as he has this year. I think he's probably a second-round pick this year. Could somebody go higher than that? They could. And, then, like, I'd even forgotten I'd written this, Jordan. If he makes the big leagues, here's the question. Are you, are, you not, are you not looking at his report? Or are you? Do you have it in front of you? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Do you have his? Do you have his report in front of you? Oh, on, on I, I don't. Yes. Oh no, I don't. Okay, good, good. Because I'm asking. This is this is your question. All right. If Isaiah Campbell reaches the big leagues, yes, he will be the first Portugal-born player. Whoa! To do so since what year? What year? Oh man! Was the okay, last so Portuguese-born debut in the big leagues? This is a great question. Um, I'm gonna so this was this is I, it's, I'm gonna say I'm gonna, off the jump I'm gonna say it's been at least a hundred years. Am I correct about that? You are correct. Okay. Uh, yes, because back in the early 20th century, you had guys who were just happened to be born in Sweden or right. you know or or Portugal or Estonia who just somehow managed to make it over and learn how to play baseball. I'm going to guess that the first Portuguese born player since 1903. 1875. <laughs> and, I, and I don't even remember. I don't even remember who the last one was. I obviously looked it up on um, on Baseball Reference oh, at man. the time. Okay, I'm good for you. But um, in fact, I'm going to Google. I'm going to look it up on Baseball Reference okay. right now. But yes, I was like for some reason I remember the name Carranza. I don't know if that's right. Um, it just wants to give me Mark Portugal. No, it was some dude named Frank what? Thompson in 1875. Was well, born born in uh, well, Madeira, Thompson, Portugal. Frank Thompson uh, does sound played, about as Portuguese as Isaiah Campbell. So, yeah, there you go. And uh, he he played he played for two teams in the I think the National Association in 1875 and went six for 46 with a trip. nice a, a really strong performance for for Frank Thompson. Who knows how he made it over from Portugal? <laughs> this is how long ago this was, Jordan. He you know, baseball reference lists everybody's debut and what number debut it was in MLB history. Frank Thompson was the 257th debut in MLB yes, history. Yes, he was. Uh this was only I believe the fourth year of organized baseball. Um Fernando Tatis, by comparison, was the 19,426th debut in MLB history. Which is still, again, not very many players when you really think about it. Um, baseball has been around for a long time. Now, uh, this was quite a year in the, in the 1875 National Association. Boston, the Red Stocking. Sorry, sorry to off track here. I just want to make sure we know what kind of baseball we're talking about here. Uh, Boston went 71-8. and eight. So It was a really, really good year for the Red Stockings. Harry Wright. Harry Wright was wasn't Harry Wright like one of the pioneers on the uh, on the Boston Red Stockings. I'm, I'm not uh, looking. Hall of Famer yeah. Harry Wright. George Wright. George Wright. Right. Oh, Harry Wright was his brother. I I, I got him. George Wright was the star. George Wright was the star. George Wright was the star. He had uh he was very good. He he had three thirty three. So um this was quite the team. Quite the team. Ross Barnes, I think. Uh, I think Ross Barnes was your first National League batting champion when the league started in 1876, leading your Boston Red Stockings with 5.2 WAR. And they also had a fellow named Jumbo Latham. So uh, a lot of great names. Deacon White also on this team. Five five Hall of Famers on that team. Wow. I would hope so. They went 71 and eight. That <laughs> <laughs> Jim O'Rourke, Al Spaulding of Spaulding Sporting Goods fame, Deacon White, George Wright, and the aforementioned Harry Wright 
who was uh, 40 at the time at the, I, I think he's more of a pioneer. So that's why Harry Wright didn't put up, put up big numbers playing in his one game for the Boston Red Stock. All right. So let's somehow navigate our way back to Isaiah Campbell, who apparently was born in, <laughs> in, in Portugal, right? Yes. How, yes. I didn't even know that. How, how did you, how, why do you know the background? Well, I, I don't know the, the detailed background. Whenever I write up college guys, I, without without fail, look at their bio. And I think like the last line of his bio referred to him being born in Portugal. So then I was like, oh, I wonder how many guys have been born in Portugal who played in the big leagues. And the answer was one. It was it was Frank Thompson. So um, I, I, I do not have the we, – we, maybe we should get Isaiah Campbell on as a podcast guest at some point and ask him I, I um, what the background that. is. We need, we need to know. We need to know how this happened. Oh, no. Here we go. Oh, here okay, we go. Yeah. Omaha.com. Yeah. You got to love the Google machine. Omaha.com mentions his father was in the Air Force, so I guess he was stationed in Portugal, um, and that's where he was born. Amazing. And so now, all the way from Portugal – who knows how long he was, he was staying in Portugal, but – He's looking to make history. First Portuguese-born player in uh, 140 plus years, or nearly 140 years. Um, yeah. Is he so so okay? So he raised raised the stock a little bit, but but so would you say right a second round, second round, third round? Yeah, I mean, like, could somebody? T- I mean, it, it's a bad year for college pitching. Could he move up? He could. I mean, you know, I, th- I think the medical will be a little bit of a concern, but I, I think he's 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 pitched so well. I mean, he's always had the stuff, and he's just been more consistent and thrown more strikes, and he stayed healthy all year. That I, I just can't imagine. Like, like I was looking at this today as I was putting guys in order. The second round goes. It, it, the supplemental second round picks end at seventy five. I, I can't see him lasting past that I, I think he goes somewhere in the second round that seems fair and we will hopefully he- be hearing that that little portuguese nugget on the on the draft show assuming he is taken on day one you will because I, i'm sure that i will be responsible yes. for isaiah campbell you know after we get past the, the lock first rounders i pretty much am responsible for everybody in my half of the country as i, I stand on the yes. floor of studio 42 and so uh I will be sure to work work yes, that Frank in. Thompson. The Frank, Frank Thompson, Thompson better be getting Maybe we'll get a Frank Thompson graphic prepared at MLB Network. Yes. Maybe they can find a yes. photo of him, and then uh, we can run them yes. side by side. Yes. That would be a great I am, graphic. I am eagerly awaiting that. All right. Uh, one more draft guy that we have to talk about. And, um, you know, before we started recording, I wasn't sure if we were going to mention this guy, and, and that was largely because of my hesitation uh, to mess up any sort of pronunciations, but we did our research and we found out that the current leader in Division One baseball in home runs is a gentleman by the name of Cody Hosey, H O E S E, an outfielder at Tulane University down in Louisiana. And this guy, uh, we, we was not really on my, certainly not on my radar uh, over the last few weeks. Um, he, he's not. I don't. I'm not sure if he is on the top 200. I, I assume he's not. That you could. Create, he will be. He will be. He, he, will be. he, he will was be. not coming into the year. Yes, he, he was not coming into the year, but he will be because he is uh, on quite the tear uh, with several home runs over the last week. He is now up to 19 home runs on the season in, uh, I believe, just 36 games, which is pretty pretty good, uh, leading the country in total bases as well. So, what is a Cody Hosey, and how high could this guy go in the draft? Well, you know what's crazy? I do. Uh, Jonathan always gives me a hard time because I do over prepare, and I do. So when we make all these draft calls, we were talking about at the beginning of the uh, of the podcast. I, I I do these fall lists, and I've got 
height, weight, bat throws, little mini scouting reports. I'm not just saying, hey, how good is this guy? Like I have some info on the guy. And I, I'll jot down their stats on the left-hand side of the page. <laughs> you told me Cody Hosey was leading the nation to home runs with 19 as we were discussing what we we're going to talk about the podcast. I was like, what? <laughs> because I knew he was having a great year. Because on April 5th, I wrote down his stats. And I even write down the date because I'm way too meticulous. He had 12 homers. So that means he's hit seven homers in like the last, days. I think, yeah. 10 days. Um, and he was already having a great year. And then you actually told me when we were talking about talking about him, I – you looked it up. He was drafted. He was drafted last year. I don't even remember him being like mentioned as a draft eligible sophomore. He's, he's got, you know, from scouting standpoint, great body, you know, six, four, 200, you know, big league body. He only hit five home runs last year. He didn't do, you know, he had an okay, you know, sophomore year, but he didn't show this kind of power. And I think the big difference for him is he's more disciplined. I mean, he's got bad speed. He's got loft in his swing. He, he's showing more discipline. Um, he can stay at third base. You know, it's a solid arm. I had a scout who told me he thought the body looked like – he wasn't saying he's going to be this good, but the body looked like a young Matt Williams. Um, so I think, you know, I mean, you know, plus, not that people are drafting straight off of stats, but there are teams that look heavily at college stats. And Cody Hosey has more home runs and strikeouts <laughs> right now. Good. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty good. Last time I checked, like, that seems yeah, like a good trait. Um uh, more home runs and strikeouts. He's almost got more doubles than strikeouts too. Like like the two to one extra base hit to strikeout ratio is pretty good, um, and he can play third base. I, I think, I think he's a second rounder, and, and he's a guy that because he wasn't like a you know he wasn't a guy who came up at all in the fall when we were working on the top fifty. I, I you know and because he's basically it sounds like he's hitting two home runs a game <laughs> in the last week. Uh, I may even be a little light on him. So, uh, but I, I'd say he's definitely top two rounds. And if he keeps this up, I mean, he's going to keep moving up draft boards. But but I, I think safe right now would be to, would be top two rounds. Yeah, and is there uh, a certain certain teams that are especially? We mentioned the White Sox last week as a team that really likes to take you know college hitters. Uh, is there a team that stands out as one that likes to take college performers and specifically? Um, I think the Astros jump out. I mean, you would perhaps assume that maybe the Orioles would do the same since, you know, Michael Elias, you know, is now in charge in, in Baltimore. Um, I'm trying to think like, Hey, we, you know, we should actually make a list because it would be kind of, I mean, we could do that, but off the top of my head, I mean, those are, those are a couple to jump out. And you know, the thing is, it's like, what's nice is there's, I mean, there's legitimate tools there. This isn't, like, you know, a guy with a big softball swing taking advantage of a joke park in a, in a, you know, lower level league. I mean, th- this is legit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, like I, I, I need to do more digging on him. The second round might actually be a little bit late. And, and, and in fact, I'm supposed to hope to track down a, a guy who, who cross checks, who, who's got Louisiana. And, and that, that's on my agenda for this evening. So, well, there you go. All right. Well, we'll, we will be having weekly Cody Hosey updates at this point, especially if he keeps hitting a home run in every game, because that seems, uh, that seems significant. All right. Enough draft talk. I can't believe I'm saying that, but enough draft talk. Uh, we are already running long. So I do want to hit some hot uh, minor league starts. Uh, we're just going to do a few here. I think um, we're going to start with one who was one of the best uh, one of the first round pick out of college last year by the Seattle Mariners, Logan Gilbert, right-handed starter who is looking to become the next great Major League starting pitcher from Stetson uh, has off to a tremendous start this season in low A in the Mariners organization. Uh, Fourteen really strong innings. I believe he has over twenty strikeouts. And uh, is this is this 
I mean, I guess you kind of expect the first round college arm to perform well in low A, but is this a promising start uh, for, for the right-hander? Yeah, I mean, you, you do, but I mean, he's dominating. So like, you know, yes, I mean, I expected he'd be able to handle low A. You know, it's interesting because, you know, his stock was pretty high going into the year and then dipped a little bit. I think he was, you know, Jonathan does Florida, so I didn't bear down on him as much as Jonathan did last spring, but I think he was sick last year and his velocity was down and then he was really good again at the end of the season. Um, you know, I, I, you know, that, that's a potential, I mean, it's early, it's easy to say, Oh guys could have, should have gone higher, but you know, and what was it? I think the 14th overall pick is where he wound up going. Um, you know, and you know, he had some of the best stuff on the college side, you know, he pitched great in the Cape. Um, you know, he's mid nineties when he's on, he, he's got a pretty nice slider. The, the, the changeup can look really good at times. Uh, you know, not that like everybody out Stetson is a, you know, right. a lock to be a, a, a Cy Young award yep. winner, but you know, Corey Kluber and Jacob deGrom turned out pretty well. And I mean, and you know, this guy has a, you know, really high upside too. So, you know, that, that, you know, assuming that the Mariners remain in rebuilding mode and, and Jerry DePoto doesn't trade, uh, start trading prospects again. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's certainly not out of the question that, that Logan Gilbert could be their top prospect, you know, by, by the time this season's done. I mean, he's, he, he's a super talented guy. And I thought, you know, he, he slid a little bit in the draft, um, you know, right himself toward the end, but he, he, uh, you, there were times last year where it seemed like he was not even going to make it to 14, you know, kind of, you know, early in the season. Right. Um, and I'm curious with him too, uh, if he does keep dominating, if they choose to push him as a college guy that's already succeeded. I know I don't like to send guys to the California League, but uh, and anyway, there's no rush, no rush to get this guy to the big leagues. Even though it is possible that Logan Gilbert might be the Mariners' second best starter right now, but that's not <laughs> that's neither here uh, nor there. Uh, to some uh, some bats that have been off to some really hot starts, Will Craig. Uh, infielder in the Pirates organization has been absolutely crushing the ball uh, thus far this year. He, I believe, is up to uh, six home runs on the season already, uh, hitting very well in AAA. This is a guy uh, out of Wake Forest. Uh, first round pick was 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 excellent in college, but people kind of doubted. And I believe you might have even uh, uh, mentioned recently that it's you know it's, or Wake Forest has had some some sketchy college hitters. Uh, I believe over the years, um, but Will Craig now performing really well as a 24 year old in AAA. What do you think his ceiling is? And is there even a spot for him in Pittsburgh? Um, yeah, you know, I don't think it was I who was casting aspersions on, on the Wake Forest hitters, but they haven't, <laughs> a lot of their best higher drafted picks haven't done as well. You know, what's interesting about him is, you know, he had, you know, just tremendous career in the ACC. He did not have a great cape with wood bats. There are questions about him sticking at third and he's he since moved to first base, mm-hmm. but, you know, when he first came into pro ball, his first couple of years, he was like hit over power, hit around 280, but only eight homers in his first 186 pro games. And I talked to him in the fall league, and I want to say, pretty sure he tied Pete Alonzo. Maybe there was a third guy who had six home runs in the in the Arizona fall league regular mm-hmm. season. He he did tie for the for the home run lead there last fall, and he said he made a conscious effort. You know, he was he's one of these launch angle guys, and so he hit 20 homers in Double A last year, but he also hit 248. So I think he's kind of searching for that happy medium and that'll kind of be the key because you know i mean he's not you know there, there's not much speed there so i mean you're pretty much talking first base right now while he's in the national league i mean it seems like we'll have the dh in the national league in, in a few years but you know right now it, it's not like there's a lot of positions you can really play him at and you know it, it's him versus josh bell and you know josh bell 
you know, I don't know if Josh Bell has ever done everything that the Pirates hoped, you know, when they signed him for a $5 million bonus, but you know, Josh Bell, you know, I mean, that, that's his competition right now. So he, he's got to prove, you know, that he can clear that bar. And I think he's got more to prove before he does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, another guy who's performing very well uh, at the AAA level, but also maybe struggling to find a spot in the big leagues, uh, Astros first baseman outfielder, Jordan Alvarez, who has, uh, also been rather splendid so far. Uh, of course, he's hitting in some some nicer environments in the Pacific Coast League, but the 1353 OPS is hard to do uh, just about anywhere. So where do you think he kind of factors into the Astros' future if he keeps hitting this well in AAA? Yeah, and I think he had a three-home run game the other day, too. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I mean, don't you feel like he really gets lost in the shot? Oh, like, I, like, I mean, we know the Astros have a great system, and it's all like it's Forrest Whitley and Kyle Tucker, this, this dynamic duo, and they're, they're both in the top 10 of the top 100. And, like, Jordan Alvarez and to some extent, you know, Corbin Martin, yep. like they get, they get lost. you never really talk about them. They get, they get like just a fraction of hype, and those guys are both pretty good, too. You know, like, you know, I do think there's a path to him there because – you know, I, I, you know, Guriel plays for, you know, they kind of bounce guys around a little bit, but like, you know, I don't think first base DH are, are, are both locked down. You know, Michael Brantley's on a short-term contract and left, although you assume that, you know, and I don't think Josh Reddick's there forever either. I think their outfield's kind of unsettled. I, I don't really know if Jordan Alvarez can really play the outfield. Um, you know, I feel like the, <laughs> the scouting report is, not terrible, you're not, but you're like not that's thrilled. not like you're exactly not you know ringing endorsement. Yeah, like a ringing endorsement. Yeah. Like he's, you know, you get a lot of like he's more athletic than he looks. You know, I mean, you know, he might be able to get the job. Like I'll put it this way: I think the bat is potentially really, really good enough that you may put up with him as a below average left fielder. If that's the only place you could put him in the lineup, but like they also like, it seems like they like to rotate players through DH. Like they don't have a set DH per se. So um, like, I even think like if he continues to tear it up, like, you know, the Astros, like there's no question what they're doing. They're in it to win it. Like, like it's world series championship or bust or, or else like, Hey, it's kind of a disappointing year. Cause the team's so talented. If he keeps hitting and they feel like he's got one of their best bats, they'll find a place in the lineup. You know, maybe he'll play a little first, a little left, you know, DH. But, like, so I think if he continues to hit, you know, I'm not saying they'll put him in the lineup on May 1st, but if he, you know, tears up AAA for two months, I think they'll put him in their lineup and see what he can do. I, I would say uh, it really the, no offense to uh, to Tyler White, who certainly had a breakout season last year, but – you know, if Alvarez can can either be the other side of that platoon or, or play first uh, on the other side of Yuli Gurriel, like I could I could totally see that if he's still hitting even remotely close to like this, because uh, the Astros care about hitting the ball really hard, and if <laughs> the other guys aren't doing and that, he does. and he can, yeah. he can certainly do that. All right, one more guy before we get out of here, uh, who you also mentioned uh, on there's there's an article on MLB Pipeline right now, uh, prospects uh, one prospect from every team with the most approved this season. Uh, Buddy Reed with the Padres, who's certainly been a favorite. I believe he's been on this show. If I'm, if I'm not, if I'm not wrong, um, he is uh, certainly one of the more interesting athletic prospects in the minor leagues. And he's off to a very good start in Double A uh, with six home runs as well already. Certainly in, in a hitter friendly Texas league um, for the beloved Amarillo Sod Poodles, which is yes, a real, a real team. Uh, do you think uh, maybe Buddy Reed has, has kind of found something here? I know he was also in the Arizona Fall League, or or is it maybe it's still a little bit early to get too excited about Buddy? 
Yeah, well, I mean, you can get excited about Buddy because, I mean, he's got great tools and he's – I'm pretty sure we did have him on the podcast. And if we didn't, we should because, I mean, he's an 80 talker yes. and, you know, it's it's tremendous tools. You know, if you're, if you're breaking it all down, I mean, you could put a lot of sixes on Buddy Reed. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a six center fielder. It's, it's at least a six arm. Um, it's a seven run. Uh, you know, the raw power might be six. He's a switch hitter. It just comes down to hitting. And the reason I think it's maybe a little bit early is, you know, he, you know, he, I mean, it, it's easy first round tools, but he went in the second round because he did not have a very good junior season at Florida on a, on a team with, with Pete Alonzo. And I, I won't go on my lengthy talk about how they might have nine pitchers on that staff who are <laughs> big league starters and they have five first round picks, but, but he didn't have a good year. So he went in the second round, even though it's, it's easy first round tools. And then he, he didn't do a lot in the Midwest league in 17, but last year he got off to a great start, a great season. I think it was half season or two thirds of a season in, in high class A in the Cal league. But then he didn't hit as well when he got to double A at the end of last year. So that, that's why I want to see a little bit more. I mean, he hit 179 in 43 games with a, with a 461 ops. He did have a good fall league. You know, I think the key with him is I don't think Buddy's necessarily ever going to be a high average hitter, but it just comes down to selectivity. He's got to, you know, he's an aggressive player in all phases of the game. And what, what he needs to do, I think, to become a good big league player as opposed to maybe – you know, a fourth outfielder who, who who flashes it with the bat now and again. He just has to get more selective at the plate and not chase and not put balls in play that he can't necessarily do a lot of damage to. That's the key. And, you know, like, it's easier said than done. You know, it, you can't just flip the switch. You know, he made some strides with it last year, but he's got to make more. I mean, and it, it's, it's a total small sample size. I mean, he's walked five times to 56 plate appearances. That would be his highest walk rate in full season ball that, <laughs> you know, again, it's 56 plate appearances. So I don't think we can draw great conclusions on that, but, but that's just going to be the key, you know, is not getting himself out by chasing or, you know, you know, trying to pull a pitch on the outer part of the plate and just hitting a ground ball. Cause I mean, from a tool standpoint, I mean, if buddy Reed could become an average hitter, then he's going to be a really good big league yep. baseball player. I agree. He's got basically everything else. Uh, you could, you could check all the other boxes, but just has to hit, just, just a little bit more than he has so far, uh, and it'd be it'd be very exciting. And and I was correct; he was on the podcast uh, last September. So if you want to listen to Buddy on the Pipeline Pod, you can scroll back in the feed and listen to him talk about uh, the billion sports he played growing up, which includes hockey. Which is uh, that's right? I, I think we had him. I think we had him rank them in order. Yes. Or yes was it seven or nine? It's some crazy number yeah, of sports. He uh, he played them all, and uh, but hopefully, hopefully. We can see him play baseball at the highest level soon. All right, Jim, this has been a blast as always. Thank you for for joining me. I know you need to get back to your draft calls very soon. So for Jim Callis, I'm Jordan Schusterman. Thank you for listening to this week's Pipeline podcast, and we will talk to you guys very soon. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.